0: Pastor Strope, come ahead and share the word with us this morning. In your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 1 and uh, men, skip right to the outline portion of the PowerPoint if you would, that would be appreciated. South Padre's ocean tower was originally designed to be a 31 story housing uh, for high end in condominiums. Construction of the tower couldn't be completed because it was discovered that the foundation in early its construction was faulty. The expansive soil beneath the tower began to compact and caused the building to sink and lean. Construction ceased and the building one year after its, uh, its construction had to be demolished, all because the foundations uh, were, in, uh, were inadequate. Foundations, you see, are exceedingly important. They are really important. So today from 1 Corinthians 1, I want to talk to you about the foundations of a healthy church. Psalm 11, 1 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? See, foundations, pillars, cornerstones are so vital uh, to the stability and permanence of any building or any church ministry and as, a, as with a building, so with a local church. The foundation, the foot of the pillar of a healthy church from First Corinthians 1 is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. We'll flesh that out. I had some folks in the very, very back there. I'm paying attention to them carefully to see that they're uh, in rapt attention this morning, but um, they wondered, are you going to get through that whole outline? Well, we're going to move quickly through the first four items and land largely on that last one. Personally, our lives, isn't it interesting? Have you ever stood back from yourself and said, I am an interesting mixture of consistency and inconsistency, of human frailty, sin, and desire yet to honor and please God. The First Corinthian Church is really an interesting church. If you were to narrate all of the different issues that are addressed as problem issues, they are really significant. In this chapter, you'll note that they were organized or gathering in factions around human personalities. And then the deacons said, oh, we're of Christ. We don't follow any human beings. Not deacons necessarily, but you understand what was going on in this church. Uh, there was the exaltation of human wisdom. There was carnality that he notes in 1 Corinthians 3. There was the toleration of immorality in the church so that they refused to obey the dictates of Christ to have a pure assembly uh, there was a great dispute over questionable items uh, th- there 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 was uh, charismatic chaos uh, so confused was this church that it began to doubt even the very resurrection of Christ can you imagine an evangelical fundamental church that wondered whether in fact Christ was risen from the dead So what Paul does, he immediately launches into a corrective mode. And in doing so, he really is relaying a foundation. He's helping us understand what is God's church to actually be like. And so by the back door, Paul really is not only addressing the Corinthian assembly, but he really is addressing every assembly what should we be? What is the foundation of our life and ministry? You see, the Corinthian church is a lot like our lives in many churches. We're that confusing mix of fidelity and love of Christ, and yet there are flaws and difficulties. So let's look at the pillars of a healthy church, and they're fivefold as I look at this text by the paragraph units of 1 Corinthians 1. So if you have your Bible, just let's walk through this as, as we are able Paul called an apostle of Christ by God's will and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those who in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, the healthy church, the first pillar of a healthy church is the church is God's Church. Now I finished pastoring for 46 years. I uh, Quite literally, I I stepped down from the highest vocation when I began to serve as interim national representative and uh, there were occasions where I had to correct my own speech. I would often wrongly communicate about particularly Ankeny Baptist Church that it was my church. And it's God's church that he has given me the privilege to pastor, to lead as the shepherd. It is interesting the salutation, a little study project that you may want to look at later. Look at the different salutations of Paul to the New Testament churches and how he variously addresses them. He does a particular means of address to the Corinthian assembly where he speaks of them in this way to the church of God in Corinth. For example... To the church at Thessaloniki, he said to the church of the Thessalonians in God. Now words are important and inspiration we understand is that movement of God upon the human writers so that they wrote exactly expressly the heart, mind and will of God without any error whatsoever. And I don't think it's insignificant that to the Corinthian church that was so out of order he speaks to the church which is God's. And then he further describes it by those phrases sanctified in christ called saints and then you're not alone and i would want you as crossroad baptist church to understand you are not alone because you are along with other saints who also call upon the lord he uses that phrase both their lord and ours you are not the only church and and i know you've gladly cooperated with other churches and i I even read a text like this, and I'm glad for verses like this because that gives some viability to the role in which I serve because there are other churches that gather together in cooperative ministry. I would further help you understand that if the church is God's, would you agree with me that Crossroad Baptist Church is God's church? If that is so, then personal agendas, mine and yours, are banished. There, quite literally, is only one agenda. That's what we find biblically, what we find laid out for us in Scripture. It's not uh, what, what any one individual, not any member, not even an individual pastor, but rather there is the focus upon the agenda which is God's. Are there turf wars ever in local churches? I know perfect harmony has existed at Crossroad Baptist Church and when it was known as Campus Baptist Church way back in the dark ages that never were personal agendas ever manifested, right? Well, we know better. We know better. See, personal agendas are banished if the church is God's. Now, in the shortest way possible, see, secondly, God's healthy church is built by grace. Now, if I were back at Ankeny Baptist Church where I preached for 23 years, I'd say, okay, now just download everything I've ever taught you about grace and just understand it. But let me just toy with you for a minute. Can we be informal, Pastor Will? Okay, shout it out. Give me the one word synonym, a noun, not an adjective for the biblical word grace. Not an adjective, but a noun. Don't be shy. Would someone be brave? favor. Okay, that's two words. One of them's an adjective. So cross out the adjective and you've got the right answer favor or kindness. And then, brother, what's our two word description of grace? I want to hear it again. Speak it. grace. Thank you. Okay, now we're. Kindness of God given in an undeserving fashion to sinners, rhetorically let me ask, where is that best exemplified? In Christ at the cross, remember John 1, the Word was made flesh and He dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. And best seen in the bloody image of Jesus crucified at Calvary. Is grace only past tense, or is it rather present? Paul, in 2 Corinthians, uh, one of these two epistles that Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, coming to God three times and saying, I have this terrible thorn in the flesh. Can you imagine God having the audacity to Paul or to you when you cry out to him with very profound need for God to say, I'm not going to do what you want. No, and here's why. I'm not going to do what you want because uh, weakness will manifest the grace of God, the power of Christ will rest upon you, and though you are weak, you will be strong because that grace of God will be sufficient. So grace, I've coined it this way, grace is God's current provision to meet our momentary need. It's not merely what he did to save me. And today, let me not presume that everyone here knows Christ. Please see the wonderful image of the eternal Son of God made flesh, who we just celebrated the incarnation of Christ, that he became man. He became fully human, having two natures and yet being one person. And that person went to the cross of Calvary, and there he paid for the penalty that all sinners owe, deserve to receive. That he accepted that, he fully satisfied the demands of God so that I or you, a sinner, might not so much as lift our eyes to heaven but say, God, be merciful to us, a sinner. Save us by your grace. And so maybe you're that person. You need to trust Christ. But it's not merely past, but it's right now. I know there are regular times in my life. Have any of you known that here is a specific requirement that God wants you to do, but you don't want to? Or have I been the only one in that situation? Have I been that only man alive? I'm really unusual, aren't I? Well, not, because just like you, there are many occasions where... God prompts us to share Christ with a neighbor. We're reticent, so we withdraw. We see opportunity to do an act of kindness, but we're tired, and so we don't. We get up in the morning, and we've got a splitting headache, and we don't feel like opening the Word of God to be able to dive into the Word of God to gain what we need from God in His Word. And so we just move on with our... We're all there. I I love the text. Just to help you understand this, the the image of grace. Uh, Paul in Philippians 2 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That is, he gives you the desire and the power to do his will. And you'll see this sprinkled throughout the next section. Grace to you, verse 3. I thank you because of the grace of God, verse 4. Verse 5, we were enriched in Him. Verse 7, you don't lack in spiritual gifts. Verse 8, you've been strengthened so that God will confirm you to the very end. God is faithful in that not only does He start that work, but He completes that work. See, that's all of grace. The healthy church, you see, is built by grace. It's built by grace, and so we serve by God's power. Thirdly note, the third... Uh, pillar is God's healthy church is unified. Here's that text of scripture where there are those that say, I am a Paul, others, I am of Apollos. Uh, I can even remember back some of you old timers, I can remember some of the past preachers here at Campus Baptist Church. Uh, my mother, believe it or not, was the secretary for L. Duane Brown when he served as. The state representative for the New York State Fellowship of Regular Baptist Churches. So I can remember Pastor Brown way back. When I first came to, uh, to Ankeny, the loquacious Charles Alber was pastor. He and I traveled back and forth, different places together. And so there are some who say, I am of Brown. I am of Alber. Are there any that say, I am of Hatfield? We hope, a few. We hope, a few. <laughs> uh, you understand the, the loyalty around human personality. And that's a, an expression of divisiveness. It's an interesting, interesting thing about unity. If the church is built in unity, then submission is required. Now, if I were to go on an excursus here, about church roles, about responsibilities. Uh, Deacons in a local church are the designated servants of the church. Pastors are the designated leaders of the church. They are to shepherd the flock of God. Congregations, write this down, this is revolutionary. Congregations follow Congregations submit. If we're going to display unity, at some point I must submit. Uh, submission is a terrible word, isn't it? The, the person who says, I, I'm I'm not going to submit to. Imagine the person that tries to go through life never submitting to anyone. Monday. Tomorrow, when you go to work, those of you who are out in the workforce, just try this. Go into your workplace and just say, boss, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. How will that work? You know, you may be in pink slip territory at that moment, because a pillar of the church is that the church is unified around love of Christ, around fidelity to the scriptures, And thus we must submit to godly leadership. Number four. God's healthy church is born and built by gospel wisdom. That's that paragraph section in verses 18 through 25. Um, It has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, of the thing preached to save those that believe. It's not by worldly wisdom And by the way, there are many forms of that. It's not by adopting the the paradigms and the ideas of society and importing them into the church and saying, this is how we're going to do church and build a crowd. Um, You can run a circus and gather a crowd. But rather, God has chosen by the foolishness of the thing preached to save those that believe. And to the lost, what is that wisdom of the gospel like? It's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. And by the way, many of you have experienced that, haven't you? Where you've had opportunity to share Christ with a person, and you've laid it out, you've said, God directly created man and woman. He made man and woman in his image, and as such accountable to him. Eve was deceived, Adam deliberately sinned, and plunged all humanity into the depths of sin and death. And there is a time in eternity where I, as a person created in the image of God will be accountable before God and I will give an account that I am a sinner and I in fact condemn myself to hell by my pursuit of sin and yet look what Christ did for you for me and imagine this that the eternal son of God the one who created Adam and Eve the eternal son of God was made flesh and he is one person yet he is both divine and human fully without compromising either. And that person went to Calvary and he died there and when he died it was not merely Romans or Jews that put him on the cross, it was rather God the Father who was bruising him and putting him to grief, Isaiah 53 tells us. Now, you as a sinner, all you need to do is accept his work for you, abandon religion, abandon morality, trust Christ and you've had people say that is the craziest thing I've ever heard do you mean to tell me all I need to do is trust Christ and I'll be saved <laughs> see to the world the preaching of the cross is foolishness but to us who are being saved it is the very power of God and so if the church is built by the wisdom of the gospel then it is the gospel that we must preach I am not a genius, I'm not the son of a genius, but I, I have found in 46 years of pastor ministry that, do you realize that more people get saved when I share Christ than when I don't? <laughs> and I know we've got all kinds of hesitancies, um, all kinds of reasons What is the great need in Ames, Iowa and its immediate communities around it? What is the great need for this church and this community? It is for you to make meaningful relationship in your work, in your neighborhood, in your avocations, in your leisure. Making those meaningful connections and talking with your neighbor across the back fence and say, you know, I've always wanted to talk to you about... Christ, could I take you for coffee and do that? And share with them the gospel of Christ. If the church is built by the wisdom of the gospel, then it is the gospel that we must preach. Fifth, see the fifth pillar. God's healthy church has one boast, and that is Christ. I love the text. It has become such a meaningful text to me in these last days, God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. Unless you came with some level of pride today, just think through that. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. Not not the significant. Uh, he, he, He says further, Uh, what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence it is from him that you are in christ jesus who became wisdom from god for us our righteousness our sanctification our redemption in order that now quoting from jeremiah chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 in order that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord Let's pull apart this last section of 1 Corinthians 1. It is God's work that brings the sinner into union with Christ. Totally, exclusively, it is all God's work for us. It is all a matter of divine favor because of him, for all that is needed to be found is Christ Jesus. God did not choose us like we like we picked teams for softball. I can remember, I, I'm still the smallest in my family. I, I was the best singles hitter the world has ever seen. Uh, the only home run I ever hit in Little League went was a hot grounder through the second baseman's legs, so that tells you my prowess. Um, and so when choosing teams for the pickup games, it seemed I was always the last, because I wasn't the heavy hitter. God doesn't look at, you know, that Pastor Will. He, he'd really make a good Christian. and I, I, He's got a lot of ability. I, I'm going to pick him. Uh, let me just, may I talk to Pastor Will for a minute? Pastor Will, you are despicable. And you have nothing in you that made you commendable to God. See, God does not choose us based upon anything he sees in us. There's nothing good in us. God has chosen what is insignificant, what is despised. Literally the, world, the, the word, I think it was just a little while ago, wasn't it? There was a man in Hampton, Iowa, who was charged and convicted recently by a jury that he had killed his two-year-old child by abusing him. That's despicable. That, that's a bit of the image of this word. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised of the world. What is viewed as literally nothing, in order that those that are viewed as something might be brought to nothing. Because no one boasts in his presence. I think I saw on your sign, I know it at Ankeny Baptist Church we had Awana clubs, Please understand, heaven is not a place where you're going to wear your wana badges and say, look at me, look what I achieved. Our boast is rather of Christ. In contrast to the world, we owe our existence to the prior activity of God. And notice how Paul fleshes this out. This out. Christ became And I think maybe in parenthesis, at least understand there we're talking there about the incarnation. It's a very specific verb that speaks about a moment where where Christ, pre-existent as the eternal Son of God, became. Christ became, and what did he become? He became wisdom from God for us. Now, focus on prepositions first. You all came to church wanting to learn English grammar, right? So prepositions, adjectives, nouns. Uh, It's of God, that is, source, of, from, for, uh, to the benefit of. Uh, Wonderful, simple ideas. And then notice what he says when he says that Christ became wisdom from God for us. Now, I think we have to be careful here because sometimes we look at a word like wisdom and we say well this is this is like a body of ideas it's like a book but rather the idea of the text is that Christ became wisdom from God for us it is in the person not an idea necessarily of Christ Christ became wisdom from God the statement of truth from God when he said, I came into the world not to condemn the world but rather that the world through me might be saved. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. All of the different ideas about Christ becoming wisdom from God. And then notice how even further he describes it. He has become our righteousness. We sang of that already this morning. What a wonderful truth. I, Uh, Do you remember, I know when our kids were little, they survived without digital gadgets. I'm not sure how they survived childhood without all the electronics that children now enjoy. Do you remember what was called the magic slate? It's that little acetate thing on the black and you wrote on it and you could write messages. Well, if you wrote all of my sins on a magic slate, how black would that be? I fear that it would be solid black. Now with your Do you hear the (laughs) That every sin, past, present, and future, that I have committed, that would condemn me, as I come to know Christ, He has declared me righteous. And so when He looks at me today, Not because of anything that I am or anything that I've done, but rather solely by his grace and mercy. When he looks at me today, he sees the virtue and the wonder and the purity of Christ himself. The very righteousness of Christ becomes mine, becomes imputed to my account, theologians would say. I tell you, when I begin to think of all the sins I've ever committed... To imagine that when God looks at me today, by grace through faith, that he sees the righteousness of Christ. Christ became our righteousness, our sanctification, he says, our holiness. Now, theologians debate interpretively from this text, is this positional or is it day-to-day experiential? My answer to that is yes, I think it is both. I think, obviously, Christ is our holiness, but do you understand that any measure of growth and progress, transformation, that whereas you once were an angry, hard-hearted person that displayed the works of the Spirit, that somehow, now, a day later, a month later, a year after coming to know Christ, or perhaps, for some of you, many years, that when people look at you, there's the evidence of love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That if you took the pattern from 2 Peter chapter 1, there is knowledge, there's virtue, there's self-control, there's brotherly love, there's kindness. And, and you can say, look, look at what I've done. <laughs> and Paul says, no, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I've labored more abundantly than they all, yes, but it was really the grace of God that was with me. And then further he says, He is our redemption. And the focus of this word is upon the payment made by God in Christ that now brings me into relationship with God. And so Christ is our redemption. And I do have this rather singular idea that a pillar of every church needs to be the centrality and the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ. To think for Crossroad Baptist Church, Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our holiness. Christ is our redemption, and it's also that it might fulfill scripture taken from Jeremiah 9 which perhaps later this afternoon you can read and just meditate through let not the wise person boast in his wisdom let not the mighty boast in his strength let not the wealthy boast in his wealth but the one who boasts, should boast in this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord Showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. So Paul takes that quotation. And he says, understand that all of this is so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If then the church is for God's glory then our boast is only of Christ. As a local church pastor for many years, especially as I grew older, every time I gathered with our church, I wanted us to understand, look at the wonder and the glory of Christ. And it changes not only me individually, but changes us corporately. And it's the central pillar upon which we build our lives. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, says that this is the very foundation of the church, the cornerstone of Christ. So experience true health as a local church by God's wisdom. How do we do that? Well, walk back through the text by application. Every one of you today must banish personal agendas and men I'm moving forward so you want to move that forward banish personal agendas again no genius idea here did you realize church is not all about you and what you think you need to banish personal agendas you need to live obediently by God's grace you need to follow godly leadership need to preach wise, widely and winsomely the gospel of Christ and boast loudly of Christ. See the text again with me. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is an old hymn, I'll have to quiz some of the old timers here to see if you remember quiz you what who wrote this. All glory to Jesus, begotten of God, the great I am as he, creator, sustainer, but wonder of all, the Lamb of Calvary. To think that the guardian of planets in space, the shepherd of the stars, is tenderly leading the church of his love by hands with crimson scars. The king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, he reigns in glory now. Someday he is coming, earth's kingdom to claim, and every knee shall bow. And every knee shall bow. Heavenly Father, draw people that don't know Christ to yourself today. We who know Christ, and certainly in this corporate setting, as a local church, help Crossroad Baptist Church. To be a loud talker about Christ. Father, grant us to never lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the, the exceeding beauty of holiness, and the exceeding wonder of your grace. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.